0: This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. The leaders of the G7, a group of rich democracies, pledged their undeterred and steadfast financial and military support for Ukraine at an emergency meeting a day after a barrage of Russian missiles rained down on Ukrainian cities. In a joint statement, the group warned of severe consequences if Russia were to deploy chemical, biological, or nuclear weapons. Meanwhile, NATO's Secretary General, Jens Stoltenberg, has said his organization was not seeing any changes in Russia's nuclear posture. The IMF downgraded its forecast for global economic growth next year by 0.2 percentage points to 2.7%. Blaming efforts to manage soaring inflation, Russia's war in Ukraine, and China's slowdown, a report warned that a third of the global economy may tip into recession by next year. The forecast for 3.2% growth in 2022 remained unchanged. President Joe Biden will reevaluate America's relationship with Saudi Arabia after the kingdom's decision to reduce oil production, a White House official said. Last week, the Saudi-led OPEC-plus block of petroleum producers announced it would cut output by 2 million barrels per day, despite sky-high prices. Mr. Biden is reportedly considering retaliatory measures— such as curbing arms sales and stripping OPEC members of immunity to American antitrust laws. China has ramped up anti-COVID measures in some big cities ahead of the Communist Party's five-yearly Congress, which begins in Beijing on Sunday. To counter an uptick in infections after the National Day holiday, Shanghai has locked down some neighborhoods and closed entertainment venues and tourist attractions and will double the frequency of its mass testing. Other local authorities have closed schools. Israel and Lebanon stuck to an agreement to settle a maritime border dispute. While limited in scope, the U.S. brokered deal paves the way for offshore gas exploration in the eastern Mediterranean. Yair Lapid, the Israeli prime minister, called the deal Historic Hezbollah, an Iranian-backed Lebanese militia which threatened military escalation if the dispute was not resolved in Lebanon's favor, reportedly backed the government's position. The Bank of England widened its emergency bond-buying intervention to counter sell-offs by pension funds that threaten Britain's financial stability. The scheme was introduced in response to the government's reckless mini-budget. Separately, Britain's unemployment rate fell to 3.5% in the quarter ending in August, its lowest level in nearly 50 years. Wages increased by 5.4% year-on-year, but continue to lag behind inflation. Tulsi Gabbard, a former four-term congresswoman from Hawaii, announced that she had left the Democratic Party which she described as an elitist cabal of warmongers driven by cowardly wokeness. She accused the organization, which she sought to represent as presidential candidate in 2020, before dropping out and endorsing Joe Biden, of anti-white racism and hostility towards religious Americans. And fact of the day, 49.7% the estimated share of German companies that cannot secure enough skilled workers, up from 30% in 2019. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Vladimir Putin, the Russian president waging war on Ukraine, is among the heads of state who will gather in Astana, Kazakhstan's capital, on Wednesday. The leaders are meeting for the Conference on Interaction and Confidence-Building Measures in Asia, SICA, an international forum that ostensibly promotes peace and security in its region. SICA's 27 member states, which include China and India, cover much of the Middle East and Asia. Kazakhstan's president, Kasim Zomart Tokayev, hopes to use this meeting to bolster SICA's international relevance. As well as Mr. Putin, the presidents of ten other countries, including Recep Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey and Ibrahim Raisi of Iran, will attend. The heads of some attending countries, including Mr. Tokayev, are allies of Mr. Putin, but skeptical of his war in Ukraine. Discussions of the conflict are thus likely to be shunted to the sidelines. Mr. Putin may meet Erdogan, who hopes to broker talks between Russia and the West. But the sight of one member state firing missiles at its smaller neighbor, Ukraine is one of Sika's observer members, hardly inspires confidence in Sika's peace-building mission. Hong Kong's Dim Sum Bonds Thanks to China's strict quarantine rules, few mainland tourists cross into semi-autonomous Hong Kong to sample the city's delights, including its tasty dim sum restaurants serving small dishes and tea. But mainlanders are snapping up a different kind of Hong Kong fare. Bonds, denominated in the mainland's currency but issued in the city's international market, which stands outside China's capital controls. These securities, nicknamed dim-sum bonds, are popular with mainland buyers because they offer slightly higher yields than equivalent onshore assets, and they are attractive to sellers because, thanks to rising interest rates in America, it is now cheaper to borrow in the yuan than the dollar. China's government will itself sell another 5.5 billion yuan, $770 million worth of bonds on Wednesday. As an international financial center, Hong Kong benefits from this turnover. The sale thus serves two purposes. It helps the mainland by raising money for it, and it helps Hong Kong by raising money in it. America's contentious national monuments On Wednesday, President Joe Biden is expected to declare federal protection for the first national monument of his presidency, at Camp Hale High in Colorado's Rocky Mountains. During the Second World War, the Army's 10th Mountain Division learned to ski and rock climb there before being deployed to the European Alps. It will be the 159th area designated as such by a president. The move is probably intended to boost Michael Bennett, a Democratic senator who has fought to preserve the site before the midterm elections. It will also anger Western Republicans, who view national monuments, on which activities such as drilling, mining, logging, and grazing are restricted as federal overreach. In August, Republicans in Utah sued the Biden administration for rolling back Donald Trump's decision to reduce in size two monuments there, If that case makes it to the Supreme Court, justices may consider the scope of the Antiquities Act, which allows presidents to designate vast monuments. Until then, their number looks set to rise. Sinn Féin's Vision for Ireland On Wednesday evening, Sinn Féin, a political party which wants the reunification of Ireland, will hold its inaugural People's Assembly in Belfast. The event is the first in its Commission on the Future of Ireland campaign to gather opinions from across the island. Polls in Northern Ireland mostly show support for Irish unity, far behind that for keeping Northern Ireland in the United Kingdom. In May, Sinn Féin became Northern Ireland's largest political party, but still took just 29% of the vote. In the Republic of Ireland, the party could do well enough in the next general election, in 2025, to lead the next governing coalition. Despite this, and the party's pledge that the commission will engage with Protestants, Loyalists, and Unionists, Wednesday's event is likely to see a few hundred Republicans mostly talking to each other, Persuading voters to switch parties is hard. Getting them to switch countries is even harder. And for many people on both sides of the border, Sinn Féin's violent history makes the party off-putting. Warhol's Copyright Battle A First Amendment creativity quarrel arrives at America's Supreme Court on Wednesday. The case pits a photographer, Lynn Goldsmith, against the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, AWF, which controls the late artist's estate. In 1981, Miss Goldsmith took a photograph of Prince, a musician. Three years later, Vanity Fair, a magazine, licensed the black-and-white image from Miss Goldsmith and commissioned Andy Warhol to use it as the basis of Purple Prince a colorful screen print. Warhol eventually made 16 Prince images in various colors. When Prince died in 2016, the AWF Foundation licensed Orange Prince to Condé Nast, which owns Vanity Fair, without informing or paying Ms. Goldsmith. Allowing such appropriation, Ms. Goldsmith says, amounts to all copying, no right and would decimate creators' livelihoods. The foundation counters that Warhol's prints pass the transformativeness test and fall under an exception to copyright known as fair use. A narrowing of this exemption would have implications for copyright throughout the art world. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to Espresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Wednesday Which Motown singer was backed by the Miracles? Tuesday Which character is coached to Adonis Creed in the boxing films Creed and Creed II? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Luciano Pavarotti, who was born on this day in 1935. If children are not introduced to music at an early age, I believe something fundamental is actually being taken from them.